continue to inspire uh, you to look to Jesus. If you could bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you that your blood still works, uh, that you still save, uh, that you're still able to deliver, that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, Father, we pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, very few children grow up dreaming and hoping to be a failure. No child begins life saying, when I grow up, I want to fail. I want to cause as much chaos as possible. I want to be the biggest burden I can to other people. And I want my life to amount to as little as possible. Failure happens bit by bit, piece by piece, decision by decision. In the same way, when a person becomes, gets baptized and makes a commitment to become a Christian, No one on the day of their being baptized says, you know, I want to fail at this thing called Christianity. I want to be a miserable, sad Christian that barely loves Jesus and that doesn't hold on and persevere to the end. The road to spiritual failure is a gradual road. It is a slow road, a slow fade a slow death. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we're going to see someone who ended up being a spiritual failure. And today we are going to look at the road that he traveled, the road that led him at the end of his life to fail in his relationship with God. If you could turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, And we're going to look today at the entire chapter. It's 28 verses. But starting out, we're only going to read verse 1 through 2. We want to see Amaziah. We want to see his life this morning as a movie. We want it to to play out before us bit by piece, bit by bit, and piece by piece. So if you're not familiar with the story, you can see just how gradual his fade was. As a custom of Forest Baptist Church, we stand for the reading of God's word, if you could stand with me. What you hold in your hand is not a self-help book. It is the very word of God, the very breath of God, written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is a double-edged sword. It pierces. It gets to the, the heart of the matter. Let's read it. Let's read it well. 2 Chronicles chapter 25, starting at verse 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoden of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. You may be seated. 
in the name of Jesus. Today we want to tag this text, Avoiding Spiritual Failure. Avoiding Spiritual Failure. So in verse 1 and 2, we're introduced to a man by the name of Amaziah. It says that he became king of Judah at 25 years old. And he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years. He was the the ninth king in Judah. It introduces us to his mother, and the reason that it doesn't talk about his father is because the previous chapter talks about his father, and it talks about his father in great detail. His father was pretty much uh, just like him. When you look at verse uh, chapter 24, you'll see that his father, Joash, had the same type of spiritual life that Amaziah would end up having. What I love about the Chronicle and the Chronicler, as he is writing this letter, he oftentimes right away in the beginning of his letter, in the beginning of the chapter, when he's talking about the king, he tells us what the king's life looks like. And he normally sums the king's life up in a very short and succinct way. For example, sometimes we read, as he summarizes the king's life, uh, something similar to this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that would sum up the king's rule. So as you read the chapter, you know that you're about to read a chapter that is full and filled with the testimony of a, a good and godly king. But other times, he starts off when he summarizes like he does with Joash the son, uh, the father of Amaziah. And it says of Joaz that Joaz did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoda, the priest. All the days of the priest. So that means as long as the priest lived, he did what was right. And when you read Amaziah's father's story, you'll see that he did what was right when the priest was living. And as soon as the priest died, he began to go wayward. And that's the summary of his life. Well, in chapter 25, verse number 2, we see the summary of Amaziah's life. And now we know what to expect as we read the rest of the story. Look at what he says. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, meaning he had right actions, yet not with a whole heart. Not with a whole heart. So he had the right actions, but his heart was divided. He did not fully commit his heart to the Lord. A half-hearted spiritual commitment will result in spiritual failure. A half-hearted spiritual commitment will always and eventually lead to spiritual failure. Today's text is going to call us to fully commit our hearts to the Lord and succeed. So what is the role of spiritual failure? What is the role? The first role on to spiritual failure, it starts off pretty good. It's, it's faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. You can follow along in your bulletins as well. Faithful obedience. He started out so well. Verse number three says, And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death. 
According to what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. For his own sin. So Amaziah started off right. He started off with faithful obedience. And many people we know start off right. They get baptized. And that first year or two, maybe they're, they're really pursuing the heart of the Lord. And then comes the slow fade. Well, we see that's how Amaziah was. We see that's how his life looked. Look at what it says. Verse number three. As soon as the royal power was, was firmly his, he killed his servants who struck down the king, his father. So his father was assassinated, um, essentially by his own men. And now those men are serving Amaziah. It was a, it was a conspiracy. And what Amaziah did is he, he put them to death. And the reason he put them to death was twofold. Number one, because they killed his father. They killed pops. They killed dad. But second, because they, they put their hands on the Lord's anointed. And the king was, and a person was not to do that. But he was obedient to God's word. Look at this. Verse 4. According to what's written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. So he put these men, these wicked men, to death, but he did not put their children to death. See, back in the day, that was popular. When a king became king, he would go and he would kill a, a person who maybe conspired and, and killed his father. But not only that, he would sometimes kill their whole family. But that wasn't what the word of God said. According to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, which we see pretty much a direct quote here, the, the author is letting us know that he did not go and take vengeance on their entire family because he wanted to be obedient to God's word. He probably sought out a priest because they didn't have little Bibles that they carried around. He probably sought off a priest and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What does God's law say? And that priest said, well, according to Moses, you do not have the right to punish someone because of their father's sin. Each person is accounted for their own sin. And amidst pressure, I'm sure he had pressure. I'm sure people were telling him, man, when you get in office, I know you're going to pay back those guys who did your father wrong. Amidst this social pressure, amidst this peer pressure, he says, no, I'm going to do what God's word says. And he does it. He is faithful and he is obedient to God's word. Spiritual success comes and we experience it when we seek to live our lives and our hearts with faithful obedience. What does faithful obedience look like? It looks threefold. First is fast. If we're going to be faithful in obeying God, we need to be fast in obeying God. We are not faithfully obeying God if we wait for a convenient time to obey him. The moment we know that we are in sin, we are called to repent and to turn from that sin. Not to wait till it's convenient, not to wait till we think that we figured it out, not to wait to see if it's going to work out better for us this way. Faithful obedience is immediate. 
Not only is it fast, but faithful. If it's not fast, we want to understand that, that, that Satan can come in and, and warp the situation and harden our hearts. That's what God told Cain. When Cain brought that pitiful sacrifice before, God said, Cain, listen, this is wrong. This is not the way that you're supposed to do it. If you go back and, and offer the right sacrifice, I, I will bless you. I will forgive you. I, I will be pleased with you. But he says, but Cain, if you do not, sin is crouching at the door. In other words, sin is, is waiting to overtake you. Because Cain did not obey right away, we see that sin overtook him. He killed his brother. Ask Eve. Eve has the same testimony, talking to Satan, trying to do things upon her own reasoning. Ask David. David has the same testimony on top of that king's tower as he looked at Bathsheba. Rather than nip sin in the bud, rather than fast and quickly obey God, he chose to let it linger. And by the end of the story, not only has he slept with another man's wife, Wife, but he's killed that man and now he's trying to hide it. Not only is faithful obedience fast, but it's full. It's full. Notice Amaziah did not say, you know what? I'm going to obey the law of Moses halfway. I'm going to kill some of the kids and leave others to live. No, the Bible says that he just completely obeyed God. He didn't kill anyone that he wasn't supposed to kill. It's full. You know, when we are repenting to someone and, and we need to ask for forgiveness, we need to ask for a full, a complete, we need to ask in a full and complete way. When God calls us to do something, we don't want to do it halfway, half-hearted. We want to do it all the way. It's fast. It's full. But it's also faith-filled. Faithful obedience is faith-filled, meaning that we don't, Wait till we feel like doing something. We may not be able to see logically how this is going to be better for the Lord or how this is going to work out in our favor. But the Bible calls us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. It calls us to obey fast. It calls us to obey fully. And it calls us to obey in faith. The Bible says that Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. That is a summary of our lives, that we are walking and following Jesus even in times where we don't see it and don't feel like it and it doesn't make sense to us. Just like any parent wants their child to obey them. If I tell uh, my daughter when she gets older to go and clean up her room, I want her to obey in a quick way. I want her to be fast. I want her to clean that room fully. And I want her to do it while being faith-filled. See, faith-filled means that you're doing it with the right attitude. Because you trust that if God told you to do something, then it's going to work out best for his kingdom, and that eventually you will reap what you sow. So that means you obey with the right attitude. Lord, I don't know. I really want to do this thing, but I know you called me not to do it. And even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to rejoice while I obey you because I know that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So Amaziah starts off obeying faithfully. But then we see that he begins to change. He begins to change. And instead of faithful obedience, 
we see that he begins to have grudging obedience. Faithful obedience comes from a heart that genuinely loves God and that's fully committed to God. We obey because we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning you will, your life will be consistently seeking to do to follow what I've said. A.W. Tozer says love and obedience is organically related. It's organically related. If our lives are not walking in obedience to, to God faithfully, then it is a direct and direct correlation and a direct relationship to whether or not we love God. We can't say, yes, I love Jesus. And when we look at our lives, it's inconsistent, habitually inconsistent with his word habitually and intentionally inconsistent with his word. And that's where we're going to see this subtle change, that he goes from faithful obedience to grudging obedience. Look at verse number 3 through, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 5 through 13. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. And he mustered those 20 years old and upward and found that they, they were... 300,000 choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. All with, with all these Ephraim, Ephraimites, but go, act, be strong for the battle." Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God said, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The, the men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of the rock and threw them down from the top of the rock. And they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horan and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. So we see that Amaziah starts off with faithful obedience. As Christians, we don't faithfully obey in order to earn salvation. We faithfully obey from our salvation, from our love to Jesus. But now we see that he's going to have a grudging obedience. Listen, this is what happens. Amaziah uh, wants to go to war with the Edomites. The Edomites are those who are descendants of Esau, constantly in conflict with Jacob, with Israel, and with Judah. And the Bible says, so in order to go to war, he musters up, I like that term, he mustered up 300,000 men. Okay, that sounds like a lot of men, right? Yeah? But guess what? It wasn't. In Israel's heyday, they would easily go to battle with 800,000 men. So he sees that I've just mustered up, I've just did all this recruiting from the tribes, and all we have is 3,000 men, 300,000 men. So he says, huh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire 100,000 men. And he went to Israel. Judah and Israel are now split. They're two uh, different 
nation, so to speak. And he goes to Israel. He says, listen, I need 100,000 men and I will pay you well. And he goes and he gets these 100,000 men. He pays them well. And all of a sudden, the preacher shows up. The man of God shows up. And the point that the man of God is making here, as we see in verse number seven, it says, but a man of God came to him. We don't know who this man of God is and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you for the Lord is not with Israel with these Ephraimites. So the man of God looks at him and he says, man, you have put yourself in a bad situation. Why have you decided to link arms with Israel for this battle? Listen to this. He says, God is not with Israel. Anyone that God is not with, he is against. Amaziah put himself in a bad relationship, made a bad alliance because of two things, two reasons. Number one, the text tells us, as we see how he responds, because he was afraid. He was fearful. He didn't believe that he could defeat the Edomites without extra men. So out of fear, he yokes himself up with a people that are not in God's favor because they're not walking with them. Israel at this point, they're not, they're not, they've been disobeying, they've been worshiping foreign gods. They're, he yokes himself up wrongly out of fear. Second, he's walking in pride. He commits the sin of presumption, a presumptuous sin. He assumes that what he needs to do is he just needs more men. And and rather than pray, rather than seek the face of God, he just goes into a forbidden relationship. Look how he's fallen. The first three verses, the beginning, he's faithfully obeying God. He's saying, what does God's word say? Whatever God's word say, I'm going to go for it. He's seeking God's face. He probably goes to a priest. He probably prays about it. But now, no, he's acting out of fear. And he's acting out of pride. David prayed in Psalm 19, verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. What is a presumptuous sin? A presumptuous sin is a sin that presumes that one knows God's will without seeking it. A presumptuous sin is a sin of not consulting with God before making a major decision. It, is a, it comes from a prideful heart that says, I believe I know what's best for my life. I believe I know what's best for my life. Look at verse 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? So this is grudging obedience. Rather than obey fast, rather than obey fully, and rather than obey with a faith-filled heart, he's like, yo, I've put too much into this relationship to let this person go. I've put... I've invested too much into Israel. We gave them a lot of money. (laughs) 
other words, how am I going to get my money back? And a lot of times we don't obey in, in a faithful way because we are concerned about our worldly and personal investments. We're concerned about our flesh, the things that we are going to have to give up and lose. Look at how the man of God answered. The Lord is able. And that's what I came to tell somebody who is, is walking in disobedience because you are afraid of what will happen if you lose this person or this thing, if you, you let it go, you feel like you're going to lose something. I come to tell you that God is a God who adds and who satisfies. He is a God who is able. He's a God who is able. He says the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Oh, how we often compromise on Scripture and, and following God. Because we settle for much more. The man of God says, listen, Amaziah, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Do you believe that? Verse 10. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in force in fierce anger. So they're upset. He, he tells that 100,000 men, go home. He repents. He repents. He has grudging obedience. He doesn't want to do it, but he repents. And sometimes when we repent and when we let things go, people aren't going to be happy. The Bible says that the 100,000 men, they were really angry. But we can't be people pleasers. We've got to be God pleasers. We can't be flesh pleasers. We've got to be God pleasers. Verse 11. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of Saul and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of the rock and threw them down from the top of the rock and, and, all the, and, and they were all dashed into pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horan and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. So, so Amaziah ends up being victorious. They killed 10,000 men. And as was custom uh, in, some, in some armies where you really wanted to make a statement, you would take the rest of the men captured, you would go to a high mountain, and you would push them off the mountain. Okay? They, they defeat the Edomites. But the Bible says that as they are gaining victory and as they are winning, that something else happens. Those 100,000 men that Amaziah let go, in their anger, they go back to Judah. They go back to Amaziah's hometown, and they kill 3,000 people. Sin has consequences. It has consequences. When we don't obey the Lord and seek to live a life that is pleasing to him, when we're not seeking faithful obedience and when we're having grudging obedience, we've got to know that our sin can have consequences. And oftentimes, who ends up being hurt is not just us, but it's the people around us. That day, that day, some son lost a mom. Some mom lost a son. Some son lost a dad. Some, some dad lost a, a, a sister. 
Some aunts were killed, some uncles were killed, some, some cattle were destroyed, some homes were set in fire because of his presumptuous sin of not seeking God's face for a major decision. But let's look at how our lives can slip away from the direction that we desire them to go in as we seek and follow Jesus. Look at how this slippery slope when we don't seek to obey the Lord and live before his face. Faithful obedience turns to grudging obedience. Where you once were so excited to to do the things of God, now you, you find your heart just slowly slipping away. You once got up in the morning to pray before you went to work. Now prayer is no longer an issue. You once read the scriptures and and just spent time getting away from the Lord. Now the scriptures are no longer important. You once sought godly counsel before making decisions and, 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 and brought your family around the kitchen table to pray and to discuss things in order to get wise counsel to see the, the way that the Lord is calling you, but now you do it with an attitude. You may still do it, but you do it with an attitude. Your heart is headed towards spiritual failure if you're not careful. We see him going from grudging obedience to the next scene to open rebellion. Open rebellion. Verse number 14. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent a prophet to him. So this is, this is crazy. God gives him victory. He goes into battle with 300,000 men going into a fight that he thought he wouldn't be able to win, but the man of God comes to him. He says, man, God is able. He he obeys him. He gets the victory, and then he takes the, the Edomites' gods, their idols, and he takes them back home, and he begins to worship them. The only way that he could do that is if his heart was never fully committed to worship God to the law of Moses, which says, have no other gods before me, the first commandment. Because his heart was not fully committed to God, he began to worship false gods. And it's silly. Isn't it silly? Why are you worshiping the gods of of Edom? They just were defeated. If the Edomites, God, couldn't keep them from losing, how in the world is that going to help you? God defeated the Edomites, God. Open rebellion. It gets worse. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah. It's important to see that because sometimes when we're in open rebellion, especially in our our Christian culture, when I um, confront someone on on open rebellion or in a sin, that the first thing a lot of times they do is is point to the fact that God loves them as if to say that God wants me happy more than anything, not understanding that God wants us holy. And when we pursue holiness, we will have deep happiness because we won't fall off a ditch somewhere and hurt ourselves. So we often don't. We often justify 
why we're not being obedient, because we, we just say, well, God is love. Yes, but he is also a God that is full of, full of anger and hates sin. The Lord was angry and sent him a prophet. Okay, another preacher's coming, right? He can repent. We always have a chance. Who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. So the preacher comes into his presence and the king said, who made you my counselor? And then he tells him, he says, shut up. You know I can have you killed? Look at this slow faith. Faithful obedience makes an action based on God's word, grudging obedience, doesn't consult with the Lord, but when confronted, he repents, even though he doesn't really want to, to complete rebellion. Sin does a work on us. Sin distorts us. It destroys us. It makes us delusional. And we're not calling people to obedience. And God's word doesn't call us to obedience because God is evil and, and mean, teenager, because he doesn't want you to have fun. No, when God calls you to obey, he's calling you to obey because obedience is beautiful. And the thing that he's calling you away from is going to cause you pain and misery. It may start off easy and feel good, but eventually it's going to come and it's going to bite you in the butt. It's going to knock you upside your head. It's going to leave you miserable. It's going to leave you separated from a, from a, a God who wants to, to dwell with you and, and who wants to, you to enjoy him. It's going to lead you, looking back at your life, saying, man, how I shunned wisdom. The heart of every non-believer, even if they have the right actions, in the heart of every person who says they're a believer but who is not fully committed to the Lord, eventually comes to the point of saying, shut up to God. When we are rebelling against God, we are saying, shut up. A prophet was a person who spoke on God's behalf. That's what we're saying. In some way, we all tell God to shut up. We want to search our hearts, Lord, how am I telling you to shut up? What area of my life am I not being obedient in? Is it the way I steward my money? Am I just wasting money on things that don't matter while the kingdom of God suffers? While there's orphans and widows who can barely make a life and, and barely live and barely eat? Am I telling you to shut up in my marriage? I know that you called me to love my wife as Christ loves the church, but you don't understand my wife. And I'm just not going to hear that. Am I telling you to shut up in my career? Am I pursuing a career that's going to take me away from fellowship, from the people of God? I know how this man of God feels to be before somebody begging them. I 
know how it feels. Sometimes it feels like I'm at a bridge that's broken. And as a pastor that I I see someone going full speed towards this, this bridge in a car, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, please, stop, please, slow down. You're about to crash. You're about to wreck your life. Don't take that job. I know it, it's, it's offering more money, but it's going to take you away from Sunday worship. It's going to take you away from Wednesday worship. It's going to take you away from being able to fellowship with God's people. Don't get a divorce. I know he's tapping on your last nerves, but this is not a reason to get a divorce. Don't crash. Don't burn your marriage. Don't do it. Don't go after that girl. I know she looks good and she's sweet as honey and her hair looks like a raven feather, but she doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know the Lord. You are going to crash. You're going to burn. Zoom. 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 Boom. 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 And after the catastrophe, why, why doesn't God love me? Why does it seem like God is never with me? Why does it seem like everyone around me is being blessed but me? Why is my life upside down? God doesn't love me. Maybe he really doesn't exist. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe the cross, maybe his blood doesn't work for me. safest place in the, in the world is in God's will. We are sinful. I know, you, I know you score high on the ACT, but you're really not that smart. I know you're 59 pushing 60, but you're really not grown. And you, we need Jesus. We don't need more stuff. We don't need that person to be satisfied. We don't need our husband to be the greatest husband in the world. We need Jesus. And if we find Jesus and if we know Jesus and if we trust Jesus, he can satisfy us in the midst of a fallen and broken world. He can fill us up in a way that nothing else can fill us up. But we suddenly begin to believe that lie. Did God really say? Eve, did God really say? We go from faithful obedience. Oh, I'm so happy to be saved. I'm so happy to be a Christian. Things get tough. War comes in. And then we go to presumptuous sin. We go to grudging obedience. Yeah, I know God's word says, but okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll clean up my room. To open rebellion. I'm going to do this because this is going to make me happy. And what's the results? The result when we're in open rebellion is divine judgment. Divine judgment. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, a son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, Let us look one another in the face. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon, sent to a cedar on on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, 
See, I have struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness, but now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in the battle of Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Israel. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. When we're in open rebellion, when we're in sin, we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly. Amaziah chooses to go to battle against Israel. The king of Israel says, man, you are delusional. I understand you just came from battle, and you just came, but there's no way you're going to win against us. And it was true. Everybody would have been telling them. It is no way you're going to defeat Israel. But pride doesn't get progressively better on its own. And our sinful heart doesn't get progressively better on its own. The only way it gets better is when we repent and turn to trust Jesus. So he's walking in open rebellion, and he goes to fight Israel. And we read the scariest line. Verse number 20. But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them unto his enemies. God defeated Judah because Amaziah was living in pride. God judged them. They lost. The king warned them. He, he tried. He did everything he could. He even makes an analogy so he can get it. He says, man, you're going to come up to me. A thistle is going to come up against a cedar, meaning you're a thistle, we're the cedar. And while coming up against this cedar, a wild beast is going to come and run over the thistle. That's my army. <laughs> my army's going to run over you. And he wouldn't listen. You know, sometimes when a person is sin, we say, I just don't get it. They're so delusional. I just don't understand. They, they just don't get it. That's what sin does. It binds, it blinds, and then it grinds. It's not just in everybody else's life. It's in your life, too. Sin brings sadness, sorrow, and separation. Satan tells us, oh, but it's going to work. You can hide it. Nobody will know. He's the master of deception. He's the master of pulling the cloth off at the most inopportune time. He's the master of guilt and shame. He's the master at helping people wreck their lives. Look at your Bible. You see this divine judgment. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. As Christians, we rejoice because we know that Jesus came to take our sin upon him. We know that Jesus bore our sin. We know that we're no longer under the penalty of sin, meaning that when we die because of the cross, we're not going to go to hell. But we still want to understand that when we are openly rebelling against God as a believer, that there will be consequences. And those consequences can rock us to our core. 
And then we see his tragic death, verse 25 through 28. And after we look at this, I want to make sense of the story by giving us a, a couple clear, clear things to think about. Verse 25 through 28. And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after his death of Joash, the son of Jehoasaz, the king of Israel. So the king of Israel dies for 15, uh, 15 years, and he lives 15 years longer. And he's in captivity. Verse 26. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah... From first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. And he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. So he is taken captive. And after he is taken captive, he's freed once the king dies. He served his sentence. But he dies a horrible way. Um, there are still some people who are bitter at the way that he reigned and the things that he did. And they sent assassins after him to kill him. What a tragic way to die. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I go, I want to go. Even if I die in a miserable way, I want to go with integrity. I want to go, like Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I want to go with a clear conscience that said, I have did my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to love Jesus with my whole heart, mind, and soul. Not in the way that he went, unrepentant, running for his life. So let's bring this home. What's the application? First, fully commit your heart to the Lord. Fully commit your heart to the Lord. Right actions with a divided heart will lead to spiritual failure. Resolve in your heart that you are giving your heart and you are giving your life fully to Jesus. Resolve in your heart that you are going to be consumed and amazed by grace as long as you live. Resolve in your heart that you are going to serve no other God but the one true triune God. Commit yourself fully to the Lord. Now, what does he mean? What do I mean by heart? The word heart is a word that means your inner, inner life. Your thoughts, your affections, your emotions, resolve to give that over to the Lord fully. The psalmist says, commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. Psalm 37 and 5. Commit your future to him. You can commit your future to him because he's in complete control. He's sovereign. You can commit your future to him, and you can trust in him because he's love. Everything that he does is loving. Even though it may not feel like it, even though you may not see it, you commit your future to him because he is wise. He's wiser than the wisest. A lot of us, we do the right actions. We come to church, but our hearts are divided. That's the reason we can so easily sway and go a different direction so quickly. psalmist says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And we're not strong enough. 
we're not good enough. We're, we're, we're not smart enough to, to give our whole heart to the Lord. So what we need to do is we need to depend on him. We need to pray, Lord, I obey. Help my disobedience. Lord, I want to be faithful. Help my faithlessness. And we can't do it in our own strength, but we have to fully commit our heart to the Lord. Second, we have to guard our heart. We have to guard our heart. Proverbs 4.23. Turn your Bibles there. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It says keep your heart, guard your heart diligently. Because from your heart flow all of life's issues. Jesus said from our hearts flow all of our sins. When we are not guarding our inner thought life, when we are not guarding our affections, the things that we love most, when we're not constantly guarding that, we will end up in sin. The Christian life is an active life, not a passive life. It is a, it is a, it is a life of offense, not just defense. Keep close watch on your affections, feelings, and on what you think about. Keep a close watch and know what tempts you. Not only what tempts you, but when you're tempted. Not only when you're tempted, but why you're tempted. Most of us, we, we fall into sin when we're lonely, when we're afraid, and when it's late. When you're tired. Doo-doo. Hey, baby, what you doing? I thought I told you I wasn't talking to you anymore. Plus, it's 12 o'clock. Yeah. Well, I know you're lonely over there. I just want to stop by real quick and return this DVD to you. Yeah, yeah. 12 o'clock at night, brother got on a full suit. Best cologne. Uh-oh. Hey, baby, you know, you know I was thinking the other day about you. Remember when... Or we get that little Facebook note. Remember when? You got to guard your heart. Would you allow an ex-girlfriend to send you a letter to your house with her picture on it saying, I miss you, or how are you doing? and you're a married man. No. But we will do that on Facebook. That's what Facebook yeah, is. Yeah. Just because it's over the internet doesn't yeah. make it less grievous. Yeah. They send their, you, you have your best picture up on Facebook. Right. And when you get that message, it's Satan's deception. Mm-hmm. It is like a personal letter being sent to your home from an ex-lover. I don't know why I'm so confused. <laughs> Got to guard your heart. Yes, sir. Yes, Satan sir. is slick. Yeah. Slithering. Mm-hmm. The heart is the most important part of a Christian. It's, it's our goal. Fort Knox, not far from here, I believe it's south from here. I'm the worst person in the world directionally. 
is the most guarded place on the face of the earth because there are reportedly five tons of gold there. And that gold, that's 2% of all gold ever mined, is at Fort Knox. Fort Knox is protected by a military camp. And if you were to get past the military camp, and if somehow you were to get past all the security gates, when you got to the basement, when you get to the basement, there's a 250-ton door guarding the gold. Your thought life, your inner life, is the most valuable part of your life. And you have to guard it. And how do we guard it? Psalm 119, verse 9. How does a young man keep his ways pure before the Lord? We guard it by knowing and by meditating on God's word. We guard it by living in community with God's people, by regularly coming to church and Bible study, by letting people in our life and allowing people to ask us tough questions and being transparent with people when we're thinking foolish and stupid thoughts. Mm-hmm. Got to guard your heart. Satan is slick. Husband, you have to guard your heart. You have, to just, you have to commit to the Lord fully, just as you commit to your wife fully on your wedding day. If you didn't commit to your wife fully on your wedding day, you could easily be fooled and end up in adultery. And it doesn't happen all at once. It happens one thing at a time. It happens with a, a growing awareness of another person. It happens when you find yourself thinking about the other person's attractiveness. When you find yourself looking for innocent ways to interact with that person. And all of a sudden, you begin to compare that other person to your wife. And then you try to plan meeting times with the other person. And now you, you find yourself daydreaming about what life would be like with that other woman. And now you find yourself engaging with her in an innocent contact type of way. And before you know it, you're in a hotel room sleeping with her. And you have been deceived because that woman is not going to change your kids' pampers. That woman is not going to help balance your your checkbook. That woman is not going to rub your smelly, stinky feet at night. That woman will sleep with you in a moment of passion and take your money. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to commit yourself fully to the Lord. You've got to commit yourself fully to your wife. And you've got to live a determined life that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yes, sir. Christian life is a life of perseverance. That's what we learn. If a person walks away from Jesus and doesn't spend their last 20 years loving them, last two years loving them, if they're just a complete heathen living in open rebellion, it's a good chance that they never walked with Jesus to begin with. They had the right actions all their life, but their divided heart eventually exposed that they never put their faith and trust in Jesus because of what he's done for them, but they just followed along with the rest of people because they wanted him to do something for them. Revelations 2 and 7 says, the one who conquers, I will give eternal life. The one who perseveres to the end. Philippians 1 7 says, he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus, those who are his will never, and Jesus says, and, and those who are his will never be plucked out of his hand. Mm-hmm. 
Those who have truly given their heart to Jesus are those who will never find themselves denying him and at the end of their life having walked away from him because they are his. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. And today somebody needs a revival. Somebody's like Amaziah. You went from faithful obedience to grudging obedience to open rebellion. You are so far away from God. You are in this place today. You, are, you have the right actions. You know how to have good behavior when you need to, but you know your relationship with God is as dead as a dead person can be. Today I'm calling you to repent from your sin to turn and trust Jesus and to commit your heart fully to him, to make up in your mind, I am going to guard my heart. Today there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you know religion, but you don't know Jesus. You've never truly given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've even been baptized, but you've never truly seen yourself as a sinner who is in need of God's grace, who is in need of, our, and who is in need of a Savior, and that Jesus is the only one who saves that's you today. We want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Make a commitment to fully commit to him and live your life in his presence, dependent upon him. Today there may be someone who is here, but you're not a part of a church home. It's going to be real hard for you to be faithful to Jesus if you're not looking at the same people regularly in your life. If people don't know you, there's not a community of people that can hold you accountable. It's just a matter of time before you go into a slow fade. You don't choose a church based upon the noise and based upon the Sunday performance. Choose a church based upon whether or not the word of God has been preached and whether or not you are going to be held accountable. Because when you stand before God on that day of judgment, that great Sunday show is not going to mean anything. What's going to mean something is whether or not you fully place your faith and trust in Jesus and have been declared right in God's sight and whether or not you maximize your potential for the glory of God. Let's stand to our feet as we sing a closing song and go into worship.